0: Pastor Xavier Reese, and responding to the call of God.
1: Remember when Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice. Do you hear His voice? Do you respond to His voice? Do you get in the Word of God and He speaks to you? Is there conviction on your life when you fall short? All of this will tell you where you're at. If you truly are His sheep, you hear His voice. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you hear His voice and you respond.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Jesus told the Jews that the law and the prophets provided a clear witness that He was who He claimed to be. He said in John 5, 39, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of Me. And it's to the Old Testament Scriptures Pastor Xavier turns to in today's expositional study of the book of Micah for a very compelling example affirming Jesus' claim. Let's join him in a study titled The Ruler of Israel to Come, in which we not only learn of the Lord's first coming as Savior, but also His second coming as King. Micah here in chapter 5, verse 2 to
1: the beginning of verse 5, gives us a panoramic view of the Messiah from His birth to the reign of the Messiah here on earth for a thousand years. In verse 2, we see the coming Messiah. The place of His birth was to be Bethlehem, and He took this little town out of the way to be the place of the birth of the Messiah. Yet, as we look to the New Testament, we see that God had a problem, or at least from the perspective of man. For in Luke chapter 2, in the first seven verses, Mary and Joseph were over in Nazareth, And yet the Scriptures declare that he was to be born in Bethlehem. But being God, it's no problem for him to do what he has proclaimed he will do. And he began to move in the heart of Caesar Augustus to have a census for a tax. And he proclaimed that all were to go back to their original city so that the census could be taken. And so Joseph and Mary move on. They're to Bethlehem. And when the Magi's came seeking the Messiah, the King of the Jews, they came to Jerusalem. And so he inquired of the Pharisees and the scribes, and he asked, you know, where about is this King of the Jews to be born? And they declared to him, the passage here in Micah 5.2, that it would be in Bethlehem. But he was also to be identified with deity. Because notice that he says there that he would be from all, from everlasting. I mean... Whoever is being spoken about here has to be eternal. It's not just someone who was created. It's not someone who came to existence at a set time, but his origin is from eternity. John in his gospel in chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And then as you drop down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, tabernacle, made a tent among men. God from all eternities came down and became man. One day he told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. He wasn't just saying I was before Abraham. He was saying, I am. <laughs> I am the one who said I am to Moses. I'm God. I'm not only a man, but I'm God. And because he's man, he can grab a hold of man's hand. And because he's God, he can grab a hold of the hand of God. And then what he did is die for us in that joint fellowship, God with man. Because sin separates us from God, but he came down and gave himself for sin, so that way he could pay the price, and therefore man could be joined back to God. That's the miracle of, of salvation, that God, through His love and forgiveness, reached man through his Son. And so the coming Messiah here in verse two. Micah is proclaiming, "Your Messiah is coming." To who is he proclaiming it to? A rebellious people. We've already seen the sins of, of Micah's day. Remember, Hezekiah had given a seeming uh, spiritual reform, and people were turning to the Lord. But there was a superficiality among a lot of people. But not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, belongs to the Lord. You may have knowledge, but that doesn't make you a Christian. When you're a Christian, you know you've accepted Christ and there has been a radical change in your life, and you know that you know that He's the Son of God, the Messiah, who forgave you of your sins, and you know that you know that He not only came, but He's coming again. And your life reflects it. In verse three, we have the crying Messiah. He says, therefore, He shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth, then the remnant of His brethren shall return to the children of Israel i labeled as a crying Messiah because this is exactly what took place in the heart of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 gave us his birth. We don't get all his ministry. We don't get all that we get in the Gospels. And here the prophet goes right into the rejection of Israel by Jesus Christ. But notice that he cried over his rejection of Israel when he gave them up. Sometimes we think that when God rejects man, he rejects him very smugly and says, well, good, go to hell. But he doesn't. And so the first thing we see here in verse 3 is that when Jesus rejected Israel, he did it with a broken heart in the New Testament in Luke 19. In verse 41, listen to this. As Jesus was drawing near to Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, The things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The prophet doesn't tell us about his weeping. We have to go to the New Testament. Yes, Jesus rejected Israel. Jesus rejected His people. But He did it with a broken heart. He wept over Jerusalem because they didn't identify their day. One of the greatest mistakes that we make is thinking that we are the ones that choose and when we choose. The fact of the matter is God who calls us and draws us, and yet He allows us and gives us the ability to respond but how long can we reject before there is no more opportunity? I don't know. God does, but I don't. But we are warned throughout the Scriptures not to take it lightly, but to make the most of every opportunity as we hear the Gospel. Now, as Jesus rejected Jerusalem, He did this because over and over again He was rejected. Remember from the very beginning when He went into the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke? And he opened the scroll of Isaiah and proclaimed, in this day, in your hearing, this is fulfilled. He closed it up, he stopped right in the middle of the verse, and they went about to kill him. From that day on, they didn't stop. From that day on, Jesus continued to proclaim his love, his forgiveness, but they kept rejecting over and over and over again. And every opportunity they had, they tried to kill him. But the Gospel of John tells us continually that his time was not yet come. That's why they couldn't do anything to him. But it was one rejection after another, and that's what happens many times today. People hear the gospel, whether it be here, whether it be through a track, whether it be on the radio, whatever it is, and they keep rejecting because they have God in their own mind, how God is going to work, what man has to do to be saved, and how it is that he comes to God. And they try to base that fact on their speculation, not upon the Word of God. If what you believe cannot be found in Scripture, then you are wrong. If your way of salvation is different from the way that God has revealed salvation, then you are lost. You're deceived. It's not a matter of my opinion. It's not a matter of my interpretation. People always give you that. you ever talk to people about the Lord? And they, oh, well, wait a minute, that's your interpretation of the Bible. There are many interpretations. Now, I grant you there are some passages that are very gray and we don't know, and there may be uh, an opinion, there may be an openness for two or three viewpoints. But when it comes to salvation, there is no room. And the scriptures are not muddied up. For what interpretation can you get from this? When Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. How many interpretations can you get when it is said, there is no other name under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, Jesus Christ? How many interpretations can you get when you read in the scriptures that says, there is one man between God and man, a mediator, the man Christ Jesus? A go-between. How many interpretations can you get? Only one. But notice also here that Micah tells us that he would reject them until his second coming. For he says there, until the time that she who is in labor has given birth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And so he gives us a gap here. We don't get the detail here. We have to look to the New Testament. Jesus, as he wept over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, verse 37 to 39, as he wept, he says, as a hen, he wanted to gather her chicks under her wings. That's the way he was looking upon his people. He says, but you would not. So now I leave unto you desolate, and you shall not see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus rejected Israel until a future time. In that gap, we have the age of grace. We are part of that age of grace. It began from the days of Jesus till he returns for his church. Many who hear the gospel will receive Christ during that time and they will have their sins forgiven and they will receive eternal life. Until that time, Israel is put aside. Paul the Apostle is very clear on this in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And he warns us, lest we the believer boast and think that we're better than Israel, and we start boasting. He says, listen, you're the wild olive branch. They are the root. The branch does not get life to the root, but the root to the branch. He says, be careful lest he will cut you off. And don't be surprised that he's able to graft back in the natural olive branch. But it won't be till a set time. When is that time? Well, Daniel tells us in Daniel 9, 27 that there is still what is called the 70th week of Daniel, a seven-year period in which God will once again deal with his nation Israel to prepare her heart for the Messiah. 69 of those 70 weeks have been fulfilled from March 14 445 BC when Artaxerxes gave the command to Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. If you take that base on a Babylonian calendar of 360 days, not 365, and you project it forward, you come to the very day when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on the colt on the full of a donkey in Matthew 21. Hosanna save now. Zechariah 9:9 prophesied about his coming in. To the day Sixty-nine of those weeks were fulfilled. There's one week left. So you might say that God has stopped His prophetic clock. And He is searching out a bride for Himself. The only thing about this bride is that she's not worthy to be married to Him. She's tarnished. But He has made a deal with her. He says, if you will trust Me, I will make you white as snow and make you worthy for the wedding. But like a bride who is not forced to come to the altar, neither will He force you. You must say, yes, I will marry you, Jesus. And then you receive his forgiveness, his cleansing, and then he puts a garment white as snow for you, and he says, now, hang on. It'll be a little while, and I'm coming for the wedding. Be faithful. Be true. Don't tarnish your garment. I am coming. This is the offer that he gives to you if you don't know him. This is the proclamation that he gives to you if you do know him. Don't be deceived. Don't be defiled. But be as those wise virgins who were awake, ready with their oil, waiting to hear the voice of the bridegroom. He's coming. So when that door is open, they can go in and they could celebrate with him and not be shut out. The key word here is remnant. It's not dealing with the church; it's dealing with Israel. You see, God will once again deal with the nation of Israel. There are many today who say God is through with Israel. Don't believe them. They've never read their Bible. God will deal once again with Israel. There's going to be seven years of tribulation, great tribulation, after he has removed this church. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm not looking for Antichrist, I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but at least it does to me. Have you ever known any government that doesn't pull out all its ambassadors out of the country they're going to declare war on? You don't leave your representatives there and then bomb them. We are ambassadors of Christ, and God says He's going to remove us before He wages war on this world. And believe me, He's going to wage war. On who? On a God-rejecting world. You say, well, I've heard that, you know, you can still have opportunity to be saved after that. Yeah, you can. But can you guarantee me that you'll be able to repent? Can you give me a guarantee that you're going to have that opportunity? Can you give me a guarantee that you will be willing to repent? I don't think you can. I've told you many times as Corey Ten Boom said, because a rat's in the cookie jar, doesn't make him a cookie. Your life has to reflect whether you're a Christian or not. And so you have the weeping Messiah, weeping over the rejection of Israel as he weeps over you if you continue to reject him. Because every day you reject more and more and more, the harder your heart gets. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever looked back in your life? If, you're in, you know, if you've lived any set amount of time, you can see as you grew up as a child how you, know, you were just enthusiastic and you were just lovable or stuff like that. You know, but as you went up farther and farther, you began to get harder and you began to learn all the devices and everything else. And, and I don't know about you, but I can remember a, a time in my life, it very vivid, when I was a teenager, when all of a sudden there was a change in my heart. It got hard. I remember, and I began to change in a drastic way. And as you move on in life, the more you're exposed to the gospel, as well as the more you're exposed to the evil of the world, your heart will get harder with time, over and over and over again. And though you see and you hear and you want to and you may cry or whatever, but there just can't seem to be that heart turning over. It gets more harder, and God continues to knock but it gets more difficult to come because our heart gets so hard. Remember Pharaoh? He hardened his own heart. But then it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. I mean, every time I reject, my heart gets hard, but then God strengthens my heart in that position, and it's harder next time. Well, I mean, why does God do that? Well, you did it first. The Messiah rejected Israel because Israel rejected the Messiah. Yet God was initiating, I want to save you. But again, we get to choose. But you'll never be able to follow God. But Micah doesn't stop there. He goes on to speak in verse 4 in the first part of 5, the reigning Messiah. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Yes, he's proclaiming judgment, but he's always proclaiming blessing also, and the opportunity to walk into that blessing by repentance. Or he's preaching to a rebellious people. Notice that he will shepherd Israel in the kingdom age. He shall stand and feed. The word feed is to shepherd. A shepherd tends, feeds, protects. In that day, God will protect Israel. Right now, Israel is the enemy of the world. The Jews throughout time have received just terrible things. Why? Because God promised back in Deuteronomy, if you ever turn your back on me, I will put you to flight. I will fight against you. I will bring upon you the very same things that I did in Egypt. Look at the history. What you see has happened to Israel throughout history is a direct hand of God against Israel. Why? Because they rejected their Messiah. Read Genesis 12, 1 and 3. Those that bless you, I will bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse them. Look at the nations who have stood against Israel. Look at the people who have fought against Israel. Some of them are no longer alive. Nations are no longer world powers. Why? Because God has chosen the nations of the world that chasing His people. But you know what? God turns around and chases those nations. Why does He do that? Because He's God. And so in that day... After the seven-year tribulation, as they open their hearts to the Messiah, then Jesus is going to set up the kingdom. Matthew 25, He sets up the judgment of the nations. Then He'll separate the sheep from the goat. He will, they will enter the kingdom. See, the millennial kingdom is not for the church. The thousand-year reign is for Israel to fulfill all that God promised to her. We're looking for a heavenly kingdom. They're looking for an earthly kingdom. All the promises of Israel will be fulfilled to Israel during the thousand-year reign. Not for the church they were never fulfilled to Israel prior to the rejection. They'll hear his voice. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? My sheep hear my voice. Do you hear his voice? Do you respond to his voice? Do you get in the word of God and he speaks to you? Is there conviction on your life when you fall short? Or can you walk with sin hand in hand and not feel any different? All of this will tell you where you're at. If you truly are his sheep, you hear his voice. That doesn't mean you're perfect. But it means you hear His voice and you respond. And you live in a continuous state of genuine repentance, not remorse. You turn from your sin and you trust the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for that forgiveness. Micah in chapter 4 has declared about that millennial kingdom, that thousand years. In chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. This is in sharp contrast to what preceded in chapter 3. He speaks about uh, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount being all devastated. And then he says the contrast in chapter 4, verse 1 is, but one day the hill of the Lord, the Temple of the Lord, Jerusalem, will be exalted. This speaks of Zechariah chapter 8, uh, Zechariah 14, 4, where he steps on the Mount of Olives, it cleaves, and he walks into the city. In that day, Jerusalem will be exalted. That will be a city, and He will rule from there. It's a future blessing for who? For Israel, not for us, the church. Yet we will reign with Him. He says there in verse 2, Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His path. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so Jesus will teach, he will instruct, he will rule with a rod of iron as it's said in the New Testament. And nobody will be able to rebel because Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Though sin nature will still be present, he will rule with a rod of iron. And he will smack heads when he sees something going wrong. Like a potter breaking a pot. And we will rule with him. In this time it will be total peace. They shall abide, he says there. They haven't abided for all these years. They were rejected. But in that time, God will rule over them. God will bless them. God will give them all their provisions. Also in chapter 4 there, He speaks about the dominion in verse 8. And you, O tower of flocks, and the stronghold of the daughters of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. All that was promised to them, all the authority, all the control for Israel. Now see, this is the God we serve. Even in the midst of judgment, he proclaims blessing. And he gives the provisions by which you can walk into that blessing. But again, the choice is the individual. The result will be peace, and this one shall be peace. In chapter 4 again of Micah, verse 6 through 8, he speaks about that reign, about that time of gathering the outcasts, the afflicted, the lame remnant. And he will reign over them in Zion. Total peace. If you look at the history of man and you look at the number of years of war in contrast to the number of peace, it is devastating. Man is sinful. Man is depraved. And until the Prince of Peace comes, there will be no peace, no lasting peace. In that day, his name will be the Lord, the the Lord, our righteousness. Isaiah the prophet prophesies in Isaiah 9, 6, the Prince of Peace. He will reign during that day. And so here Micah, in the midst of judgment, proclaims that there will be a ruler coming out of Israel in the future. He has come already for you, for you stand in the age of grace. Nothing has to be done except you're opening your heart to him, recognizing you're a sinner, and that you need to repent from your sins. And he says he's made provisions for that sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Now you can either reject, as Israel did, or you can accept. The choice is yours. He knocks at the door, but you must open it. He doesn't force anyone. And yet, whatever decision you make in this life will affect your eternity. Eternity is decided upon here and now in this life, not after you die. Then it's too late. Do you believe Jesus came for you? The first thing you have to ask yourself or is He just some kind of myth? Some kind of mystical religious story? Secondly, do you know that He cries over your rejection of Him? He weeps over you. Thirdly, do you know He wants to reign in your life? Not when that thousand-year reign comes, But now, as you bow your knee to him, as he knocks on the door of your heart, if you hear that knock, do it now. Don't wait, for tomorrow's promise to no man, no woman.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese, with an invitation to invite in the King of Kings to rule your heart. And at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com, you'll find the information you need on how to know Jesus as Savior. You may also be interested to know this message titled, The Ruler of Israel to Come, is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study all over again and at your own pace. Or perhaps pass on to someone else you know. So once again, the title to ask for is, The Ruler of Israel to Come.